Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter. And along with me is Jonathan Pritchett. And we are excited that you are here to close out the new year with us. No, we're not going to run this stream until midnight because that's cray cray. We're just going to do it this afternoon and then go to bed at nine o'clock that's like right. the older men that we are. That's right. But we are glad that you're here. Um, and uh, this is exciting. I'm glad to have this this group here with us today. And this is just a Q&A. Now, Pritchett wants to kind of do a year end review. And so... Um, I guess we could do a little bit of that while you're uh, getting some questions ready. I know there are already some questions out there, but um, but and Chris, we've got Chris Date in the audience. Yay! Um, we, we've got Air Church in the audience. Yay! Um, and then we've got a bunch of our uh, the people that are always here for the live stream. People Yay. like Joshua Davidson, uh, Hervey Schmervy, Derek Baylor, Punch, Punch Bowl, Bowl haircut. haircut. Yeah. Love you guys. All right, so uh, Jonathan, what do you have to say ass. about? Yeah, we're Slam RN. She's not over there on Cameron's channel, is she? Probably. She probably she she's so out of this world. She probably is an alien. <laughs> All right, Pritchett. Uh, while I continue to make dad jokes in the background, why don't you talk a little bit about your year end review thoughts? Well, it's been a trying and difficult year and a crazy year for a lot of people. Um, interestingly enough, you know, it's all about where you are at in life and, and where you live and all of that, where you work, things like that, that affect your circumstances. So for me, most of my life has been relatively the same, but I know that a lot of people have been out of work. I know that a lot of people, uh, have had loved ones who've gotten sick, who've died from COVID-19. You know, it's just been hard for, for a lot of people. And it's not that I, I consider myself blessed. I'm not having any sort of like survivor's guilt or anything. But, you know, I know that a lot of people out there have had it a lot harder than I have in 2020. And then, of course, we've had a lot of uh, political stuff going on and tumultuous social upheavals in various cities. And that has affected a lot of people. Um, some of it being uh, the peaceful protests uh, for justice and equity and raising awareness to various issues dealing with race in this country. And then others have dealt with ongoing riots and mayhem and senseless violence. And, you know, it's just been, you know, we've had a crazy presidential election, a crazy post presidential election kerfluffle it's you know it's it's been quite a year there's just so much going on but when i think about you know from our Pritchett, context, are you just yeah. are, are you just sitting here saying let's do an ear in near in, a year end review 
and then saying, hey, 2020 was terrible for a lot of people, but for us it was all right. Is that basically what you just said? <laughs> kind of, because it's all a matter of perspective. You know, for, for us, my life didn't, we lost our dog this year. So for mm -hmm. me to complain about 2020, as awful as been, you know, I lost my dog. A lot of people lost loved ones. A lot of people lost their livelihoods, their businesses. A lot of people have been dealing with ongoing violence all sorts of things. You know, it's, it seems weird how, where you are and what you do, you know, kind of where you're located affects your life. So I go to the grocery store and wear a mask. That's about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. You know, um, our, our, we all pretty much stay in our offices, you know, uh, on the, the, the wonderful 13th floor of the uh, fifth third building in downtown Bill, somewhat pleasant down, not beautiful downtown Evansville, but somewhat pleasant, overlooking the most disgusting river in the world. So you know, my life. I thought you when you said you really, wanted to do a year in review, you wanted to like talk about things that have happened on Trinity Radio this year. Well, yeah, we're getting there. Okay, but, but I'm just thinking. In Everybody knows all terms, the other stuff. They all yeah. know, but it's all they see on the news, yeah, on, I know, on TV, but, everywhere. It's just. But we haven't talked much about it, so people might think that we don't even know. Things no, they recognize that we are we are an escape from that yeah. as much as a person can. Escape we from. bunker. And now here you've said, yeah. "Ha ha!" You thought you were escaping. Here it is, more 2020. No, but what I what I will say is that you and I both have been in constant prayer for people who have been affected much worse than we have. Yes. Because we, you know, we are actually somewhat empathetic and, and it's just weird to see how people and, you know, because social media ha has certainly made the world smaller. And so we know people that are all over the world Yeah, and how it hits them. And it's terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Well, let's get to some questions then. But for us, you know, for Trinity Radio, Trinity Radio has been a pretty good year as far oh, yeah. as, as, as far got as 10,000 subscribers, yeah. um, uh, almost to 11,000. So, uh, yeah, that's been exciting. And of course, we've heard yeah. testimonies of many people coming to Christ, um, relatively speaking, many. And we've seen uh, people have decided to partner with us and make the show better. We've built a new set. We've yeah. uh, we've we've done all kinds of stuff. We got the Pritchett cam this year. Yeah, the Pritchett cam. So things are going great. Let's get to some questions. Yeah. All right, I just want to say though that I I am I I am thankful for all of our friends all over the place who are who are dealing with things. I've I've seen amazing things happen. I know that you know in the middle of 2020, a, a good friend of ours had a tree fall on his house, and despite the fact that everyone's you know financially strapped and all this i saw people come together for our brother adam coleman you know that was yeah, that was, that was very uh, heartwarming and encouraging to see so things like that 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 happened that in the midst of all the chaos you know just reminds you that uh among the fellowship of believers uh in christ you still see the good yep amen yep. amen that's a great pastoral point to start off with pastor preach it now let's get some questions here putting my question here early Vasca Venti says um, I hope I'm saying that right do you think omnibenevolence conflicts with God having free will if God is omnibenevolent it seems that he would necessarily do the most moral or loving thing possible yes this comes up quite a bit there are a couple of ways to think about it so um, 
uh, the, 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 so I'll answer first, then Pritchett, if you want to add anything onto what I have to say, that'd be good. So, um, yeah, the idea is you don't, you don't have to do it with omnibenevolence. You could just do it with God being, um, uh, just, uh, having certain perfections and being the ground of all good. Isn't he bound by his nature to do only the best possible thing, um, all the time, which means there's only ever going to be one thing that God can do. Now, the problem with that, I think, first of all, I, there is a certain sense that that kind of makes. But there's a couple of problems with the idea of that meaning God does not have free will. One of those things is that what it means to have free will. So when we talk about libertarian freedom, which is what we hold to, then what we're talking about is there's two senses of this. And I just recently discussed this on an episode of Chris Tate's podcast, um, and you should go check that out, where we talked about a couple of different models for God. But simply put, to have free will means... Um, what is both necessary and sufficient is that nothing external to the agent determines what the agent will do. Now, we admit that there are influences outside of the personal agent. And we want to say that uh, most people think free will means you can do, or I don't know if most people think this, but many people think this, uh, that hold this view that we hold is, is they would think, oh, well, it necessarily means that you have what's called the principle of alternative possibilities, meaning that um, whenever you, whatever you ended up doing in any particular situation, you could have done something else had you done something else. You, you could have freely willed to do that. Um, and I think that that is true much of the time. In many situations, I have, I think, the ability to have done other than whatever I ended up doing. When I do like this, as John Searle says, it strikes me as immediately obvious I could have done this just as easily. So that's the principle of alternative possibilities. Um, and I think that's what would be required for the qu criticism that would stand behind a question like the one you're asking. But what is both necessary and sufficient for libertarian free will is just that nothing external to the agent determines what the agent would do. So here's an example of a case that comes from what are called Frankfurt type examples that gives you a case where there's only one thing that the individual will do, but they're still doing it libertarianly freely. So let's imagine that the Biden-Trump uh, election were to come down to just one vote, which isn't how our system works. But let's just say one person was going to make that decision. And Kamala Harris decided that she wanted to make sure that that person voted for Biden so that Biden would win the election. And so she put a chip in his head while he was sleeping. And when he goes into the election booth, the chip will notify her a half second before he pushes the button for Trump if he decides to vote for Trump. And then she can push a button, which will cause him uh, it'll put an electronic pulse and cause him to push the button for uh, Joe Biden rather than Trump if he was going to vote for Trump. But if he goes into the booth and he's naturally going to vote for Biden, she won't have to push the button and he'll just go ahead and vote for Biden. And that was a free decision. So she would have affected the decision and it wouldn't have been free if he was going to go vote for Trump. But he but if he doesn't go to vote for Trump and he goes to vote for Biden, she lets that happen naturally. The point of this type of an example, these Frankfurt examples, is that there's only one genuinely possible thing that can happen. And yet we can still say that the person is free because that's what the person freely chose to do with nothing external to the agent determining the agent's actions. In that case, for sure, God would still have libertarian freedom, because even if God was bound by his nature, whatever that might mean, to do only the best possible thing in any given circumstance, so long as there's nothing external to God determining that he would do that, and there can't be because there is nothing external to God sans creation, then God is uh, still free. Now, beyond that, I think that we can still say that God has the principle of alternative possibilities, at least in some cases, at least maybe. And the reason and the way that that would work out is 
We think that there's only one best possible state of affairs between any two things. But think of this idea. If I want to do something nice for my wife tonight, I can take her flowers or I can take her chocolates. Now, I don't know which of those two things she likes more. Perhaps she likes the chocolates more. I don't know. On some microscopic level, she probably would prefer one more than the other. But I don't know what that is. But we can at least imagine what if on some incredibly microscopic level, she likes both of those exactly the same. Well, then either one would be just as good. And we can imagine at least some states of affairs where God knows that it would be exactly, perfectly, like platonically equal in terms of goods to do one thing over the other. And while we would never be able to know what that is, God would know, and thus God would have the principle of alternative possibilities. So is God free? Certainly in the source sense that nothing external to him determines his actions, even if there's only one thing he can do. But I think potentially also in the principle of alternative possibilities sense. So that's my answer. Pritchett, you got anything else? Yeah, my answer is totally different. Not that I, I disagree with anything you're saying. My answer is totally different, though. Um, I don't. My answer to the, the, the initial question, do you think omnibenevolence conflicts with God having free will? My answer is no. If God is omnibenevolent, it seems that he would necessarily do the most moral loving thing possible i that to me that's just a straight non sequitur it doesn't seem that way to me just because he is omnibenevolent doesn't mean he must only do the most omnibenevolent things at any given point in time that just doesn't follow uh this goes back to a conversation we had uh several weeks ago god is first and foremost a who not a what so god's nature is not god's god god's person determines his nature his nature doesn't determine his actions so we got to remember that we worship a who, not a what. He's the great I am, not the great it is. So I, I don't see that because God is in terms of an attribute. I, I, I tie that more to his character. Nature, as I said a few weeks ago, same thing. Very slippery word. What are you talking about? Are you talking about his customs and habits, his character, uh, consistent with his character or consistent with the quiddity or... Uh, incorporeal substance you know god's not made out of a stuff so when we talk about essence or substance it can get a little bit tricky and there's a lot of literature on that in the older uh, theological works but the point is god's not made out of something that determines who he is who he is determines those things not the what he is so uh, no just because you're omnibenevolent you know i can be i can be loving um and that doesn't mean that I only do loving things. And God can be maximally loving. That doesn't mean he must only do things that are loving. And I don't like slippery type of ways of saying, well, it is the most loving. It's just our fallen, na- na- you know, our fallen nature prevents us from seeing how truly loving something that seems that God does. It seems somewhat weird and not very loving. And say so we just don't understand it because we're fallen. We don't understand perfect love. I think those kind of answers are silly. Um, so I agree with what you're saying on the philosophical sense, but even more so, I I don't think so because I don't, I don't think that God's, uh, my notions of doing something most loving, you know, um, I, I, I don't think that that's my highest ideals of that are far off from what, you know, God's understanding of loving is, uh, even if we want to biblically define that. So, uh, I don't need to say all that. Uh, slippery sound and stuff i just say no it doesn't conflict with it all god determines what he does maximally good uh but not necessarily what we would consider most loving or even if it is always the most loving thing in any given circumstance gotcha all right 
Uh, here's a question for you, Pritchett. You're an egalitarian that believes women can be pastors too, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Name nine good women pastors and I'll consider changing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> name nine. I can't even name nine nope. pastors. No, nope, you can. You certainly can. Can you name nine good women pastors? Nine good women pastors. I don't I don't think about it and we'll come back to you. How's I that? I don't know any I don't know any pastors. I don't follow like churches and stuff. I don't I don't know. <sighs> okay. Uh there could be no good women pastors and it still wouldn't mean it was biblically uh wrong He just wants to see your proof of concept. All right, Cole Young. How much do I need to send for John MacArthur's a, sh- a pastor? I know I know he's a pastor. Um, you just use the pronoun he. John MacArthur's yeah, not a Yeah, I'm trying to think of just pastors, people that I know who are oh pastors. Oh my gosh, you know pastors. Come on. Brett Nicholson is your pastor for one thing. Yeah. Um, but we're not asking you but, to name male pastors. Well, he's asking me to name pastors, like people that he probably would... Well, think about it for a while. You don't have an answer right now. How much do I need to send for a shout out to my YouTube channel? LOL, love you guys. Everyone check out Cole Young's YouTube channel. And if it has a name other than Cole Young, not that it needs to. No, it doesn't. We'll shout that out too. It doesn't. It's Cole Young. And uh, you didn't have to pay anything for that for me to shout you. In fact, I posted one of his... But your answer is $5 apparently. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I posted a very good video from his channel. Uh, in the Trinity Radio Primetime discussion group, and I highly encourage everyone to watch it, and everyone in the group that has watched it has left very favorable comments because it is an excellent video discussing what made him cry at the gym. Go check it out. Yeah, so um, I'm looking for more questions here. And and um, his videos are short. It's like the anti Oh, here's flowers. a question. Yeah. Here's a question. I want to address great. this. Digital Gnosis says, my question is, why don't you talk to people who disagree with you? Well, as some he of you talks may recall, to me all the time. As some of you may recall, <laughs> just a few weeks ago, um, and the week before that, and the week before that, probably, um, Nathan here asked uh, why we wouldn't come on his channel or talk to him or whatever. And I said, I'd talk to you privately. And so as Nathan, Nathan knows, I sent him my information. I said, let's set up a time to, call, to talk. He apologized for some things. I probably apologized for some things. He contacted, I, I called him. At the time we suggested, he said, well, I know we agreed to talk now, but I really would like to watch this other live stream that's going. I said, fine, call me at your leisure. He never called me. I have been willing to talk to Nathan. Um, And so uh, at this point, as he's trying to steer people off of this channel in the chat, that's all I really have to say about that. All right. um, I've said plenty of reasons why in the past we don't sit there and just do YouTube conversation. They're... We're, yeah, we just don't. That's just not our. Th- you know, number one, we like. Uh, should I go ahead and do the whole? We we want money in a big stage, but other than that, look for for YouTube junkies. These conversations go nowhere. They're redundant. They're repetitive. They accomplish nothing. They're usually get a little bit angry and hostile. And uh, it's fodder for the week to feed a beast. And not, we're just not into Yeah, that. it's weird for me when, when people... We're not uh, trying to feed the YouTube beast with content to entertain theology junkies and atheist YouTuber junkies. Yeah, it's, 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 just, it's, it's very... I'm not here to help atheists build their YouTube channels. And it's weird for me when someone... Uh, and I've gone on atheist channels before, but it's weird to me when someone is very nice to me privately and, um, and says, Hey, sorry about the snark or whatever like that. And then comes in and then people come into, and I'm not just specifically talking about Nathan, but, and then comes in the chat and, and demands to be 
call, and now he's calling me on. He's calling me on Messenger now. He never called me, but now that I've said this, that was weeks ago. He calls me. No, I'm sorry. We've we've been through all that. Uh, it's I don't. How do you define a troll? What is what is a troll? Slam um, RN's finally here. Yep. Hey. Uh, let's see here. Uh, so yeah, I yeah it just. Uh, other people like uh, the late night cable news uh, crossfire. Well, no, um, golly, I'm dating myself with CNN's crossfire. What, what, I don't even the, remember the Hannity crossfire. And the, I know Hannity and Combs. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the Rachel Maddow, I think, is someone who's on TV. Okay. Uh, anyway, it's all these talking heads who are screaming at each other back and forth, interrupting each other, not making any sense. And and so when 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 apologetics and atheist fundamentalism and all or whatever you want to call atheist YouTubers, when all of that becomes cable news for like politics, it's yeah, you, you know that that that, okay. that whole this scene is dead is air. Yeah. So, what do you think the church is losing the most people to? Um, I think the church is losing most. It's per, I'll tell you this: it's not like intellectual arguments from non Christians. That's not what they're losing to. If the church is losing people to something, it's probably just simply I think the cultural. Um, either it's laziness for one thing. I don't feel like going to church right now <laughs> or I want to do my own thing or it's not the most important thing in my life. I mean, uh, we would like to think in the worldview discussions area that it's all about worldview all the time and that sort of thing. I don't think that's what's happening. No, I think what's happening. That is some for some people. And there's a great book that you had to write, read it by Olin. And I quoted it in my dissertation by Christian, somebody Smith, Smith something like that. And it so followed some stories of people over a variety of years and so there really was something to, you know, there really was something to the worldview issues. But I think probably what's going on more than anything else right now that's 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 uh, that's hurting us is the church um, has biblical uh, morality, moral uh, thoughts about um, our, our morality is informed by biblical commandments and um, statements about human sexuality. And I think that is a big one because the cultural stuff that has to do with homosexuality and trans stuff and all that sort of thing. And so the world has done a good job painting Christianity as a bigoted religion, at least those of us who are not of the progressive uh, Christian movement. And so I think that hurts us. And I think there are a lot of Christians who think, well, I've got to get I've got gay friends. I've got a gay family member and all these kind of things. And I don't want to think of God being that way. And I don't want people to think of me that way. And now I will give the atheist crowd on the internet this. I think this is a fair point to state that that may be a jumping off point where they, that, that initially is the thing that prompts them. It's the catalyst that gets them to thinking, um, do, why do I believe this anyway? And then they begin to look into, um, atheist material and they ultimately leave the church. Now, here's the thing about that. That is to admit that you're still going in with a bias and we all have biases and we try our best to limit them. But I think that those social issues and the way Christianity is viewed by particular people in the culture right now, because one thing that uh, that is um, misunderstood by a lot of people, and this is in a great Oxford Press book by somebody Hunter. It's not me and it's not a relative of mine, but something Hunter. And uh, it's called um, How to Change the World or something like that. And it's it's all about how culture we in the church and Christian leadership often talks like cultures are changed from the ground up, from the grassroots up. 
That's not how it works. Culture changes from the top down. Yes. You want to ask yourself why almost everyone in middle America, at least at some point, was against evolution, but yet their schools were teaching evolution? Well, that's because these things are changed from the top down. You want to ask yourself why, uh, and that's not to say anything about the truth of evolution. I'm just pointing something out about culture. Um, you, you want to ask why why it is that um, there, there was a strong sense of a certain sort about homosexuality as a, a, as a behavior, as a, as a lifestyle, that sort of thing. But yet um, it changed in terms of laws. It changed in terms of um, what was in the entertainment world. Because those entertainment, legal institutions, educational institutions, those are the top and they changed from the, it changes from the top down. That's how you change a culture. That's why music is so important. That's why film is so important. That's why it's so important like C.S. Lewis once said that it's not that we need more Christian books. We need more good Christians writing books yeah. and um, we need Christians making good movies, not yeah. just Christian movies and things like that to change the culture from the top down. That's how that works. And um, how did I get here? So the, the culture, I think, and how it is and the society at large, how they view Christianity. Christians look at the movies. They look at the laws. They look at the government. They look at what the educational establishments are saying. And they look at their peers and they say, I don't want to be in their out group. I want to be in their in group. And this is not necessarily always going on at a conscious level. There's a great book to read about this. I've given you one. It's the How to Change the World or How to Change Culture or something by Hunter from Oxford University Press. But then there's also a good book called, um, oh, The Great Evangelical something I'll, I'll, uh, Richardson is the name uh, talk about something for a second Pritchett and I'll well yeah I think all of that was in the air as a just a cultural shift um, some of it's quasi-religious just the attraction of paganism you know spirituality you can keep what you like about religion and ditch the formalities and the window dressing and the trappings of it uh, COVID really exposed a lot because people we're like, okay, we can't go to church. So they stopped going to church and they watched it online. Then that dropped off and it really revealed how um, most people uh, are unchurched now that were formerly churched at the beginning of the year. So churches are down, what, 60 to 70% of all engagements, whether it's in-person or online engagements. I think I read that here recently. And so COVID merely exposed how very thinly tethered people were connected to their churches. So we heard for a decade or so about it's all about being real and authentic and relational and blah, blah, blah from the church marketing gurus. But really, did that hold up? Yeah, no, it didn't. Here's um, here's a couple of I got so this so all the talk about missional and relational and often being authentic and all of this other stuff uh, that that's been crammed down evangelicalism anyway for for the past few years. Uh, you know, it so, didn't it didn't it it didn't keep people tethered to the local church. Yeah. So here's all. here's two books that I mentioned to change the world by James Davidson Hunter and the great evangelical recession um, by John S. Dickerson. That one's a few years old, but I'll tell you what, it will blow your mind if you're a Christian and it's extremely helpful. And it, it's, uh, it, it's been playing out pretty well. Like that book says that it would. So those are a couple of books that I would encourage you to check out. Okay. 
Now let's move on to another question. Uh, that was see. a very important question. Man. It was a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, Jamie Russell, $5. Thank you, Jamie Yay. Russell. Perfect seems to suggest the best, yet creative potential suggests options. The best possible world is the world God makes. We are at fault. We are at fault for sin. Amen. Yes. And that would take us into, we could talk a little bit about Molinism, but we don't have to, but... I'm a Molinist. Pritchett is a self-loathing Molinist, meaning that he does affirm the central principle that is usually thought of when we come to Molinism. But look, the idea is if God has omniscience, exhaustive omniscience, and he's aware of how things would go in any way that he creates, and that includes worlds where determinism is true and worlds where we have free will, all the possible worlds, the ways that he could make the world, <clears throat> he we would think that he would select to create the world of free creatures. We would think that he would select the world of free creatures where the most people freely choose to be saved. That may be a world that has some evil in it, um, but God would God would know which world would best suit His purposes. And uh, what you have then in a situation like this is everything good that happens is because of God, and everything uh, bad that happens is because of free choices. Um, bad meaning evil, we could say. All right, so uh, that's great. Thanks, Jamie. I really appreciate that. I'm looking for. What else? Uh, some other questions. All right. I don't know what this is going to be. Just throwing it up there. Question from Dave Cherry. Sherry. Cherry. Sorry. I don't know. What's a good response to Graham Oppie's brute facts, brute facts, necessary universe? Would it be something like on that logic? We could also say five minutes ago was a brute fact. Yeah, I, I covered this a few weeks ago and um, this is just a shallow response. I'll admit that. But um, first of all, it, it seems to violate Occam's razor. This came up in his discussion with William Lane Craig on um, mathematics, where, um, you know, Craig had um, the necessary being being God and Oppie had the necessary being being a lot of different things, ultimately, like a lot of different objects. And so as a result of that, you would think that Occam's razor would call away. Why don't you go for the simplest, most elegant explanation that does away with a lot of those things? Um, And yeah, you could just say, well, five minutes ago, right? I said a few weeks ago, like another thing that this doesn't seem to resolve for me is, well, it's just still all too perfect just with the physical universe. So like, It'd be like if we couldn't go any further back than 1980, because I don't go any further back than 1980. If everyone was my age, we couldn't go back any further than 1980, but we saw all these perfectly designed houses. At least they seem to be designed with, you know, uh, uh, we have um, refrigerators and toilets and bedrooms and artwork and all these kind of things. We we wouldn't just say, well, I guess this is just necessarily the way the world is. I, 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 we would assume that there's something more going on there. Yeah, um, and, and that to me... I haven't heard any good response to that either. So, question. Evolution. There you go. Joshua Agbidi? Yeah, Agbidi. Uh, evolution, common descent is affirmed by Christians like Biologus and William and Craig. Doesn't this mean that there was no historical Adam which was made dust of the ground and being the first man? Well, okay, so this is a... So, William Lane Craig wants to affirm a historical Adam. So, and there are people I would imagine IP within Biologos, yeah, Adam. inspiring yeah. philosophy, Biologos, the people that affirm, uh, uh, there are people that affirm a historical Adam. So it just, there's different ways you could do this. You could say something like <clears throat> you had the development of, of, uh, a humanoid like being through the process of natural selection, just like science says. But then whenever it got to a point where God had, um, a, a, a male and female, a man and a woman that he that, that represented what he wanted for humanity that he wanted to work with. He implanted souls in them. And in that sense, 
they were um, the first, you know, they were the first man and woman. And then as for how we're connected to those, you would go to like um, Craig and Swami Das both have, I think, slightly different ways of going about this. Craig places Adam, the historical Adam, further back so that there can be more of, I think, um, some kind of a connection um, genetically or something. Um, but they don't require a genetic connection because uh, Swami Das puts it closer up, you know, closer or further down the timeline, closer to the, I guess, closer to the uh, the age that many people think, if you just look at the biblical uh, dating and stuff like that, I could be getting him wrong on this a little bit, but that there's a relationship between that person and the other people around at the time <clears throat> through, through other means. So it doesn't have to be, so there's a genealogical connection, even if there's not specifically a genetic connection. And uh, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. The point is there are ways to get to a historical atom um, and have um, sin come into the world and spread through Adam, just as uh, whatever, however you mock that up um, in terms of original sin, even if you were to accept something like evolution. Yeah, and, 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 and of course, whatever your view on, on original sin is, federal headship is not identical to seminal headship in the transmission of sin. So you can still have... A, a form of federal headship without uh, common descent from the single pair of Adam and Eve either, if you didn't want to. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, super. I didn't chat. know that William Lane Craig is actually running around affirming evolution now, though. You got to pay attention, man. Well, super I haven't kept up, but that puts him at odds as a research professor at Biola because I think they're. Well, maybe it doesn't. I don't know what his arrangement is, but I know I. If I remember rightly, their doctrinal statement that I think the professors have to sign doesn't approve of that. So that's interesting. All right. We got a five pound super chat from Bunseed, Bunkied. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. But good evening from the UK. Thank you for your channel. Go buy yourself some good British food. What should we get, Bunkied? Bunks, no, Bunseed? What, what British food should we get? That cereal that... that the, uh, Justin Briley. We can yeah. get Weedabix. Yeah, we'll go get yeah. that. Justin Briley had you. You said you liked it. You tried it several different ways. So I never got to try it. So we have know. a video on this channel where I'm trying Weedabix. Yeah, we haven't. We don't have a video where I've tried it. He didn't share any with me. So yeah, five dollars super chat from uh, Jim Amberg. Uh, pair character cheerfully blowing a party horn. <laughs> I forget that whenever it's uh I thought you were saying that to me. I forget whenever it translates it for our stuff. It um it just describes the emoji. That's hilarious. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Jim Amberg, our channel angel. Layman's Tech Lounge says, regarding your last video about the Kalam, can you help me conceptualize an eternal being existing timeless without running into the infinite regression issue? So yeah, so um we it's difficult for us to imagine spacelessness, right? Well, what's that like? I don't know. And neither does anybody else. But um, if space is a thing, if, if physical objects are a thing, if time is has some sort of an ontology or existence, then it's there's nothing contradictory about it, the notion of timelessness or spacelessness. But in a state of uh, timeless nothingness, you wouldn't have beginnings or endings. Beginning and ending are temporal words. An infinite regress of causes or temporal moments requires a timeline of some sort where those causes are taking place moment by moment by moment, or that time is taking place moment by moment. 
Um, when you when we say that God exists timelessly, we're saying that God just changelessly, statically exists. Now, some people have problems conceptualizing that because they say, well, that means God can't think. But recall that when God that God is omniscient. And so he doesn't have to think in the sense that we think about thinking. He simply knows everything statically at once. Whereas we have to think in a series of moments. I'm thinking this thought, then I'm thinking this thought, then I'm thinking this thought. But that is, you're, you're thinking through things is a process of learning, even if you don't think about it. Because you're thinking, you're putting thoughts that you already have together to create new thoughts to arrive at a conclusion based on things that are already in your head, but that you never concluded before. So it's a process of learning. I think maybe I'll go to the grocery store. When am I going to go? Well, if I go right now, then I'm going to hit traffic. If I go at two o'clock, uh, it's going to interrupt this meeting that I have. So, okay, I'll go at four o'clock. And we, we have learned something through a process of thinking. God doesn't have to think sequentially like that to arrive at new thoughts because he is um, omniscient. He knows everything instantaneously. So he exists changelessly, statically, timelessly. And such in such a case... There is no sense to even talk about beginnings or endings. There is no infinite regression because there's no timeline at all. God just exists timelessly. So that's kind of how the answer to that goes. Hey, Braxton, did you know that the church is losing people because of apologists like us? Who said that? Uh, Blaster Master 80. The church is... Okay, well, you know what the late, great Christopher Hitchens said about things like that? That which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. So all those people that become Christians, whenever we go talk to folks, you know, that doesn't gain people. Surely not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm just blown away by the behavior that goes on among certain people. I mean, it's a chat. throwaway line. It's, it's fine. It's no, a, not that. I'm oh. looking at other things going on. It's like, it's like, you know, inspiring philosophy has said this. Others have said this. Uh, when you behave a certain way, and then you wonder why someone doesn't want to talk to you when you behave that way. I mean, it's just... Um, I haven't found that. I've even though I've been willing to to talk, and then you wait three weeks until I'm in a live stream and start calling me and say, I want to talk right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, that yeah, doesn't work. Yeah, and look, that's... Well, and again, if you, you don't want to talk in private because what you want is you want uh, CNN's Crossfire on your YouTube channel that'll get you another video in another week and... Then it's off to the, try to bait the next guy to get in there. And I, I just, I don't know. That's that's a rat race, not doing it. White girl with Instagram black screen. I don't know what that means. Um, says, nice clickbait. Thank you. Although this was like the least clickbaity clickbait ever. Question if and answer. Hold on. If I really wanted to make it clickbait, I would have put on the thumbnail, I would have put, we're quitting. And said nothing else until you're in the video. But I put in the title, we're quitting dot, dot, dot 2020. I mean, come on, that's not really clickbait, but thank you. And thank you for the $5 super chat as a Christian apologist. What's your opinion on the belief? Some scholars hold that the Christian God was a pagan Canaanite God. Um, I wish I, you could do clickbait better. We'd get more views. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, well, apparently this worked. I mean, so. I'm one of those honest apologists. There's few of us out there. <laughs> apparently, if you listen to. No, some, there's not any. No, I know that there's not few out there. There's um, no honest. We're all. Oh, you're honest. agreeing with the atheist. You're like, we're all dishonest. Right. Um, yeah. Some scholars hold that the Christian God was a pagan and Canaanite. Yeah, I don't think so. That's the, it. Hold I, that the Christian God was a pagan Canaanite God. Yeah, I don't think so. Now, what I will tell you is Heiser came up just a while ago. If you want to look at Heiser, um, you, you, you could you could conceptualize 
See, this is the thing about Heiser with uh, with certain things. He gets to the same conclusions. I think that a lot of people get to. He just goes all the way around the block to get there. So, like when we're talking about that's the good stuff. That's why it's popular. The other gods. The you can't other skip the block, Braxton. You gotta. You need to drive around because because on that block is a whole bunch of good information that you need to know. Maybe so, but it's all yeah. it's all about because the first time Heiser says anything about some of his particular views, you're like that is hardcore controversial, and then you hear what he has to say, and you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's what I already thought. <laughs> it's like, but so these other gods, these other gods are real gods. Oh my goodness, is he a polytheist? Well, then you realize that ultimately what he's getting around to is that these are some sort of a some sort of turncoat spiritual beings, which is what most Christians think about the gods of the other, you know, the demonically. You know, Paul says something that hints toward that. So, okay, you know, it's like a big deal. But uh, but there, I believe there were other gods, quote unquote, um, running around in, in, in among the Canaanites and, and other groups at the time. But I think that those are demonic. I just think that those are turncoat angels. But uh, as for Yahweh, I think Yahweh is the one true God, and I would want to be presented with an argument that Yahweh is just one of those. Why is Digital Gnosis and Chris Date arguing? Oh, he's trying to get Chris Date to talk to him. Oh. Um, I wonder if he's ever seen Chris Date actually engage in debate because he wins all of them. Trinity, Nick Quint has a question. Oh, Nick Quint. I love Nick Quint. Nick Quint says... Um, thoughts on Tim Stratton's section on scripture in his book. I thought it was quite thin, otherwise a solid book, but I think there is a lot more to be said exegetically, to be honest. I'll tell you my thoughts on that. He didn't write every single thought that he could possibly write in his first book on a particular subject that he only had space for a chat. Come on, Nick. Nick, come on. I'll tell you my thoughts on Tim Stratton's section on (laughs) scripture in his book as soon as I read the book. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. As as soon as Dr. Tim Stratton sends us complimentary copies, which is as even digitally, which is as required to get your book bumped to the top of my list. If you send me a book for free, I have to read it because I feel like I'm obligated to read it. Uh, If you don't, if if it's in my uh, Amazon uh, cart or queue or whatever, you've been bumped to the very bottom. And I don't make adjustments in that thing because I have a huge reading list. Now, I will say, Nick, I understand what you're saying, but. You you don't you can't skin a whole cat. This is this is his dissertation, and those things, as you will come to find out, have a more narrow focus. Uh, you can't say everything you want to say about every verse that you could say about it in one chapter of one book. So, I I, I give people a pass on that kind of thing. Now, if he wants to make a book titled "The Biblical Case for Molinism," and the whole book is supposed to be that, and it and it's and it it's still thin and all that yeah that that would be a good, but he's trying to do a whole bunch of stuff with that book so first of all thank you thank you jesus um i hope people do hit the like button button bottom button it's a button um but thank you thank you jesus pritchett i have my hand over this comment so you cannot see it gotcha do you like talking about socio-rhetorical stuff like the david de silva type stuff no because this question is for you. No. Here's a question from Derek Baylor. $5 super chat. Thank you. Says, for a while, I got the impression many Calvinists treat grace like a force. Then I heard. <laughs> Ma- then I- <laughs> yes. Then I heard MacArthur say we need to think of it as a force. Do you agree? No. That's. Pritchett Cam incoming. No. That's. This is. This is. Okay. 
So this is why when, and look to my Calvinist friends, most of your literature on grace needs to be chunked in the trash. Because if you're not talking about the socioeconomics of benefaction and gift giving and patient client reciprocity in the ancient Mediterranean world, you're not talking about anything having to do with the ethos of grace as understood by the original authors and audiences of scripture. And you're not talking about anything we should care about. I mean, I, I mean, we should care about in the sense of, yeah, that's culturally interesting the way that they're using those terms. I mean, the closest religious connotation the word grace has in the New Testament world is three dancing pagan goddesses in a circle. So if you want the doctrines of grace, go read On Benefits by Seneca, uh, because he is a contemporary of the New Testament authors, and he's writing like out the ethos of this system for, for his audiences, you know, that's been there since, I don't know, five, six hundred years. So this, this when they're talking about grace as a force, no, there's a very... When you say the grace of God, you've got to give that content. What, what, which particular grace? Because it's all grace, you know. Because it's not something that is um, obligated; it's something that is that is freely given uh, by the patron. Um, but there is a social expectation that if you are the client, that you receive it, that you have to be loyal and or have faith in your patron and you know, go around promoting your patron's honor and so on and so forth. So, yeah, the, when they talk about grace, it to me, once you once you know, and, and here's what's sad, the reformers, um, at least the more educated reformers early on, had access to not as much, but some of this literature that should have cleared this up for them, but, the, but they didn't care. They went off into their own categories and concepts and didn't care about first century issues because they were de debating issues of later centuries. But this is not new. This is not something that was discovered recently. This has been, you know, people have been talking about about this stuff for a long time. It's just as far as evangelical scholarship being aware of it. But okay. you, you once you ring that you can't you can't unring that bell. So you can't you cannot continue to listen to pastors or even exegetes continue to talk about grace as some sort of pixie dust or metaphysical peanut butter that whatever. Uh, it, you, that's Jane, what James White said. It's not a peanut butter. It's not any of those things because you people don't know what you're talking about. So when you talk about grace and you're not talking about it in within the ethos of gift-giving benefaction and patriot-client reciprocity in the ancient Mediterranean world, don't even listen to them. They, they're just, it's just, it's just metaphysical gibberish. Okay. At that point. All right. So Slam RN says, I am improving my Hebrew, but that is not saying much. And she's saying this, I think, because she is listening to Chris Date, who is a professor now at Trinity Radio. So, uh, he's a professor now at Trinity. <laughs> so the honorific fits now. But yes, I do hope to do an Old Testament PhD. He's talking about something else. But I threw this up there to show that he's a professor here now. And on his channel, so you can come to Trinity and you can uh, get course credit and get a degree here from Trinity. And learn Hebrew With from learning Chris Hebrew. Date. But he's also doing Hebrew um, probably a little bit more casually on his channel and right you can now. learn it there. Yeah. So, uh, so check that out. And, uh, while you're over there, you can watch the episode I did with him just a couple days and ago. And many a PhD scholars could use the refresher and watch it as well. Now, Brando says, experiments show your brain acts before you are aware of it, but there is a small amount of time when you choose not, when you can choose not to do it. Free so launch. does free will not equal free will? 
for, yeah, for, yeah. If those experiments are right, and there are all kinds of problems with those experiments, I think we just talked about it last week. But what you would get from that is even if your even if your brain is like deterministically going to do something before you're aware of what the choice is going to be, then you still have a refraction period where you can have free won't, and free won't reduces to free will because you're vetoing decisions. And in effect, if that's true, it actually makes sense on a Christian paradigm where there is a propensity to sin. Right. But you can resist. Right. The, the yeah. So so we're talking about like pushing buttons and all of a sudden. It yeah, takes, yeah, yeah. OK, so you can practice this right now because what we're what they're really they're not really talking about volitional acts of any sort of serious consequence there. You have built up behaviors and instincts to, to which arm you're dominant or you're are you so for me, I'm, I'm right arm, right handed dominant. Um, so normally if I walk up to a door, I'm going to latch it with my right hand. That's instinctive habits. Okay. And then if you had to think about it, you may change real quick because you, you, you think about it, but you somehow instinctively, you knew that that was going to come up. To, that's not like life. And I know you talked about this in a previous video about those like world changing type, you know, paradigm shifting type decisions that you have to make in your life. Yeah. But a lot of what that just, that's not really what, what we're talking about in moral acts and moral decisions anyway. That's just instinctive behavior being predicted over t after being. And they tell time. you, as I said last week, there's a great book called Free by um, uh, Alfred Mele on these, on the science, the, the, not just the libid experiments that you're talking about now, but other ones like it that do similar things. And they, they encourage the people to try not to think about when they're going to push the button. To when they're going to yeah. choose. In other words, try not to be free. Did you <laughs> and they will see, And you can't leap from the simple act of picking in a given situation where there's nothing on the table to uh, this broad leap to when you think about who you're going to marry or where you're going to go to dinner or what you're going to do with your life. That that, that, that it's it's the, it's deterministic in the same way. Did so this stuff all. come up in your conversation with uh, Chris Date? No. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't I haven't watched it yet because <clears throat> what I intend to do is I intend to. Uh, over the holiday, screen record it and leave that screen recording as I go home. Uh, I'm going to screen record it on my uh, computer at double speed so that I can download it, upload it to a private uh, YouTube channel thing, and then watch that double speed and double speed so that I can actually be able to sit through. Oh, man, stop it. All right, here we go. Bridget, you can answer this. When, where, and how did you and Braxton meet? Oh, wow. Well... I first met Braxton in person at Starbucks the day before I started Trinity, but I, I guess we first started. I guess we first started like getting to know each other was in a Facebook group, but I can't even remember the name of that group. Uh, but it was it was there was a Facebook group of a bunch of Southern Baptists because I was a Southern Baptist back then, which which you know he liked me more back then when I was a Southern Baptist, uh, but. There was a Southern Baptist Facebook group, and then there was a Southern Baptist blog uh, that was dealing with a lot of the stuff on Calvinism. And so in the comments or even in the main article, Braxton would post something or whatever, and people would, all the Calvinists in the Southern Baptist, because they have nothing else to talk about at that time. Now they have other things, but back then that's all they wanted to talk about. So they'd go and try to dump on what Braxton was saying. And then I would come in and dump on what they were saying, trying to dump on it. I was like, no, he's right, and blah, 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 blah. So I started sucking up early because I knew that he was the son of a seminary president. And apparently it worked because he said, hey, you got to come work for us. Yeah, I mean, I had written an article that got between 
it, it, twice it got 800 and something comments. And th now we have videos that get that many comments. But back then... That was crazy. That was amazing. And and I was the only one responding, really. I mean, you know, because I was defending my own article. And here I saw, as I'm in this bar fight of sorts on the internet, I look over and here's this guy, akin to something from Double Dragon, in there with me. And yep. I'm like, hey, this guy is throwing all the same punches I throw, man. He's understanding everything about my form. He's in the same martial arts school of theology that I am. Yeah, And so I thought I need to deepen this relationship. And initially I asked him if he'd like to go in together and we do a blog together. And he said, yeah, fat chance, baldy. I don't want anything to do with a blog with you. Um, so it's amazing that we ended up working together. But yeah. Well, I actually knew, I knew your dad before I knew you. And I'd already started kind of talking to your dad before you and I really started talking. Because your dad's You always say that, cool. but that's not true. It is true. That's not what it happened. It is true. That is what happened. And I oh, talked to him more Chris often. Date, he was cooler. Chris Date, uh, he is cooler. Um, okay, Chris Date says, why didn't you mention the instantaneous thinking process when we talked about the God as author analogy the other day? So for those that don't know, if you go to Chris's channel, uh, Theopologetics, or you just if you just go on YouTube and type Chris Date or click on his picture here. You can get a um, Leighton Flowers size video go, of him go, talking. Go over there and what we're discussing slash debating I mean, it covers everything we talk about. Over the course of, well, not everything, because he's asking why you didn't bring this up. We're talking about determinism. We talk about physicalism, like what if we don't have souls, because Chris is a physicalist. We talk about all these different things, but it centers around two models for how God is related to creation. One of those is the model that Chris likes, which is the relationship of an author to his or her story. Um, the thing that I find problematic about that is it seems to entail determinism because the author uh, determines everything that happens in the story. So I present another, um, an alternative model, which is something like um, what I call uh, a VW. Um, Are we about to get all three hours now? No, a VWC, a, a virtual world creation, or a VWC, as I call it. Something like The Sims. And I thought this makes great sense of the incarnation because a person could put on a virtual reality headset and enter the world of the Sims. And there's, of course, you can run into heresy real quick there, so quit with the heresy hunters. But we talked about that, and and we talked about his analogy. The problem with it is, uh, one of the problems I think with it is, um, he sees that on my analogy with the Sims, the creator would have to look and see like um, what's going on and 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 all of that to to get the information about what's going on in the world of, of free creatures. And I said, well, the problem with your analogy with the author is he has to mentally go there. Like I've written three novels and I basically know the novels, but if you ask me a detailed question about a particular scene, I kind of have to go there in my mind and think about it before I can talk about it. And I may have even forgotten some things about it. So as an analogy, I don't think human authors have this capacity that God has. And so I think this is a problem. So, yes, I think God has this ability to instantaneously know everything, but I don't think authors do. So maybe there's something to that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Why didn't you bring up uh, the instantaneous thing? That, that's what that's what I just said. Yeah, I didn't follow it. OK, well, you had to listen to all three hours. Right. And that's what I was I was saying, we sound like we need to get all that. So go watch it. Or you can try my my way of trying to double speed the double speed to get through it faster. Yeah. yeah. Uh, man, they're having their own conversations. Happy to see. Hey, there's Adam Roth. 
It's Sensei Roth, Adam everyone. Roth. Wow. What's going on? Some of you who remember the old episodes, and these are on YouTube, there's several with Adam Roth, and he was he's a karate, he's like a third degree black belt or something. And so he's he's Sensei Roth, we called him. Yes. And we even had a Sensei Roth cam. That was the first secondary camera we had. Yeah. Okay, uh, Layman's Tech Lounge. Pritchett, when are you dropping your next video? I'm going to hit him video? up on Marco Polo as soon as we're done. What when are you dropping your next video, Pritchett? And I think they mean on Trinity Radio Extra. Uh, probably after the new year. I'm, I can't even get videos off of my phone to Facebook or my YouTube channel, so somebody's going to have to help me. But I've got videos. I, I, I don't even know how to get get on to this. I, I, see, this is why Braxton has to do everything, but then when I try to do it, it falls down. So... Samuel Welker says, does the Holy Spirit equal conscience? Now, here's the thing. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I think it is, is where it talks about there is a godly sorrow, and this is a sorrow that sanctifies. It's a, it works repentance not to be repented of. Um, the, so the, this, this Holy Spirit godly sorrow that comes is what I refer to, and I think most Christians refer to as the conviction of the Holy Spirit. No. Now, I think that is something that, at least for most things that we want to talk about in life, is something specific to Christians. I think everyone has a conscience. I think everyone has a moral awareness, and they feel bad to some degree when they don't do what they should do. But a conscience, I mean, a, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I think, is another layer onto that. It's the reason why I think that the saddest, most sorrowful people existentially in the world are not necessarily unbelievers. I think they're, they're more often believers. And the reason is because... The, the unbeliever has the natural sorrow of life that he has to deal with, and he has his conscience. But the believer who is not living for God and is living in known sin has all of that that the, the unbeliever has, and then has another layer of intentional sorrow, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that is meant to work repentance, and he's running from it, or avoiding it, or ignoring it. And so that is a horrible, horrible thing for in the life of a person. And anyone who's been a Christian and experienced the strong conviction of God knows what that's like. I'll tell you, one of the greatest apologetics um, that I've personally seen um, for me is uh, my wife. Um, I, I didn't believe in dating someone in order to make them a Christian. My wife had what seemed like a, a, a testimony that she was a follower of Christ and had been saved and all those sorts of things. But while we were so we were dating and while we were dating, she ended up. Um, Actually, uh, she th she believes having her real like born again experience conversion to Christianity, and she didn't tell me about it for about two weeks. And when she told me about it, it was very emotional. And she said, you know, um, she said that the, the thing that just is amazing is before I became a Christian, like really was born again, I would do things wrong and I felt bad, like I knew they were wrong, but now it's something so much deeper. And that, I think, illustrates the difference between simply your conscience that everyone has, um, except perhaps some psychopaths that manifest differently anyway, um, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that comes. Conversely, take someone like David Wood. Now, I don't know this about him, but I could imagine this about him from the testimony I've heard from others. Perhaps David Wood doesn't have that, that emotional sense about morality um, uh, because of his, because of his uh, state of affairs mentally and because of his um, condition or whatever. But I think he has said he does have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So yeah. I think that's a very interesting uh, way to think about and talk about that. But that's a great question. Kit Horton says, what's your thoughts on Heiser's statement that the law of Moses didn't just fall out of heaven, 
but similar to pagan laws. It now, goes back to what you said earlier about something that Heiser says, and you're like, that's what, huh? And then you're like, oh, yeah. That's that's what this is. That's what I think about that. Yeah, it, it, I, I mean, appreciate that super chat, Kit Horton. I don't it, know that I can it's, answer that. It's more of that. I mean, if you you can you can look at law codes uh, from the ancient Near East, and some of it's similar, some of it's different. The similarities are important to note. The differences are even more important to note. But but in, in a general sense, yeah. I mean, it's not like we Christians have never asserted that the Bible is like some golden tablets that fall out of heaven. Never asserted that. So, you know, that's... I mean, there's something akin to that if we had the stone tablets that Moses had, you know. No, it it was lightning out of... I know, but it was something akin to it. But but that would be it, right? Well, just those commandments. Okay. But, yeah, but I'm saying we've never thought... Christians have never thought that about any of our texts in the same way. Jose Martinez, thank you for that super chat so much. What's up? Hope you guys have a happy new year. We hope you do too, Jose. Yep. And this person doesn't think that I'm going to notice their comments. Will you reply to one of Telltale's videos one day? Please notice this comment. Um, I'll go take a look. Anyone that I hear about who is um, making waves among atheists on YouTube, I try to make response videos to something, um, usually one of their more popular videos. I'll, I'll go take a look. I can see in my head, I think the logo to that channel, but I can't bring to mind right now exactly who that is. Yeah. My daughter um, asked when you were going to do a response video to some atheists uh, on YouTube and I keep forgetting her name, but she's like, yeah, when is he going to respond to? And I always forget. So I always forget to tell you to go check it out. But yeah, whenever we hear something, we'll go look at it. But Jose Martinez says, I'm interested in philosophy of religion, New Testament studies, and apologetics in general, but I'm not sure which to pursue. What should I do in this case? Well, what you should do in that case is you should ask yourself about one of any one of those fields, which one you are most passionate about, which one God has kind of put a fire in you about, because even though these things can broadly all be related to apologetics and evangelism, the fact is you're going to be more into one than the other. Um, I, I like talking about the resurrection. Of course, I like talking about that kind of stuff, the new Testament stuff. Uh, by the way, I was going to say to, uh, uh, Hervey Schmervy a while ago, a good book, if you haven't gotten it, that I think everyone should have on their bookshelf that I'm sure is there on Google books is, um, well, there's two, um, why are there differences? Not, not why there's uh, Jesus outside the new Testament and Jesus and the eyewitnesses. Those are both really, uh, good books. Um, but anyway, find which I'm more into the, the, you know, theistic arguments. I love that kind of stuff. But so you're going to have something that you're attracted to more and ask yourself if if no one was ever going to pay me to do this, if nothing, if it was actually going to cost me something heavy to do one of these things, which one would I still be passionate about doing, even though it was actually difficult for me to survive doing it? And that's right. that'll tell you which one there you should you go. do. That's, I can't um, answer any better Okay. All right. Uh, Benjamin Handelman says lost more than 50 pounds since August 13th. Yay. Everyone go check out. Well, you really jumped from last week, didn't you? What was he last week? It was it. No, it was in the lower forties, but yeah, I mean, everyone check out theology on, geek yeah. fitness and Pritchett just uploaded or is trying to upload it, some, it, it failed again. I don't some know. videos that he did for how to do the exercises that led to his dramatic 70 pound weight loss. 75 pounds, but start <laughs> to get started for the first four weeks of the six month. It's 24 week program, but I can't get them off my phone. I don't know how. So somebody's going to have to help me because even Braxton doesn't know how to get them off my phone. 
Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Handelman also says it's wonderful that you have a video coming up with. Yeah. Mr. On Phil Sunday Fox. at three o'clock. On, on this topic. What topic? On Calvinism. This is problems with Calvinism and there are <laughs> plenty. Jose Martinez says, what books uh, are the best books on the problem of evil? Well, I think two that I would immediately recommend is The Evidential Argument from Evil by Daniel Howard Snyder, which is a collection of essays I've talked about in on here several times. And then also, uh, you should definitely have Alvin Plantinga's Don't. God, Freedom, and Evil. And uh, so those are two to Don't, get you started. And, and, it's and, then look at, and then look at the citations and all It's those reformed, footnotes. but you need to read, and it's really a good book, and, and not... I know there's a lot of non-Calvinists out in our audience, but it's a really good book. And even if you're not buying the Calvinist, uh, his response, John Frame's The Many Faces of Evil is a fantastic yeah. read, and it's an important read. So even if you reject his answer, it's 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 very important to read because he does categorize different ways of, uh, of thinking about evil that I think is certainly helpful so you could take what you like and discard the rest and i mean like i don't agree with his assertion for example that you shouldn't that if you're reformed you shouldn't use the free will defense as a defeater i don't know i don't think he made that case but and his own defense is is interesting if you have a reformed theodicy but but you should still read that book don't just read why other people don't like those kind of answers Go read uh, The Many Faces of Evil. There's a lot of helpful information in that one. Yeah, and also you should definitely read like one of the biggest atheist papers that's going to come up is um, William Rowe's uh, um, The Problem of Evil and Some Varieties of Atheism. Also John Weikstra and the Cornea Argument and other things like that. Most of the major players are going to come up in the uh, first book that I recommended by Daniel Howard Snyder. Uh, right, meme uh, Cop, yeah. You can go to Trinity Radio Extra and get plenty of hours with me and Nick Quint on those subjects. And subscribe right while you're there because it's almost yeah. to a thousand subscribers. Yeah, so go ahead and subscribe and go check that out. You hear everything I have to say about it. Yeah, this is this is fun. We're having fun. Are you having fun, Bridget? Yeah. They're just having their own conversations. Yeah, it's New Year's Eve. We're just hanging out here. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, Derek Baylor says, currently reading Chosen by God by Sproul. He defines free will as coming from total neutrality and with absolutely no bias. Where do these misunderstandings of libertarian free will come from? I don't Sproul's know because head? he should know I better. I don't know. But, the, you know, I mean, that book, and, you know, not to speak ill of the dead, but that book... R.C. Sproul is a wonderful and delightful and highly intelligent brother who says exceedingly stupid things with alarming regularity in his books. Okay, my favorite thing so, like that is when he in Steve Gregg's verse by verse when he's going through Romans nine, uh, he he says about this he's like about the interlocutor he says R.C. Sproul R.C. Sproul says I don't even know how an Arminian would get around would would answer explain this. I just don't even know how they get out of bed in the morning when this is here. How do they I don't know how they explain this. And Steve Gregg's like, "Well, maybe you should find out how Arminians explain." <laughs> right. that. Uh yeah, but that's yeah, no one says it's free from biases or influences or anything. It's just those things don't determine um but th that that book's silly. That's 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 armchair that's the and and Norman Geisler's chosen but free is not any better. I've I've said, except for Chris Date's debate book that had a few interesting angles that actually no one has bothered to put in a book before. 
Um, these books on why Calvinism is awesome or why Calvinism is terrible, I've said it for uh, years on this program. They're not good books. All right, uh, thank Potter's you. Promise is good because it's Leighton Flowers, and it really does deal with Romans 9 and other things. But generally, the, the Why Calvinism Stinks or Why Calvinism Awesome books and Chosen but chosen by God's one of those books, it, it's terrible for a reason because they're generally not good books. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that super chat, man. That, that just means so much. He says, thank you, Jesus, for 2020 and for Trinity Radio. Um, Yeah, C, C. Denise, she's talking to Slam RM, but I just want to say how much I appreciate See, I think that's a she. It could be a he. I don't know. Okay, forgive me. But this person, I think it's a she, has been really great to us and has, if this is the person I'm thinking of, has been going through our back catalog. Yeah. Um, and Will you ever do a video with Steve Gregg again? Yeah. Uh, I'm, in fact, I've been talking to him about a potential debate um, sometime in the near future. I'll also do videos with Chris Date again. Both wonderful brothers. Uh, when will you do a Steve? I don't know. Whenever Steve Gregg lets me. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not for, for a lack of our, our time. Chris Tate says, really looking forward to the Theology Geek Fitness routine starting Monday. JP, hope you can get those tutorial videos up soon. <laughs> me too, because they're sitting on my phone. They're sitting on Braxton's phone, but we can't get them anywhere else right now. Yeah. So for those just showing up, this really is just a Q&A. So we're looking for... Q&A. And the people that have been here the at longest Trinity know Radio. that you, you need to put at, I mean, you need to put in all caps question for me to really see it. Um, I've been, I've been doing that routine, uh, going back to that routine since I'm on a break. It's, it's still, it'll get you. Christoph Keating season. says, happy new years to all. Here's to another year of you guys being simultaneously the most fun and the most serious apologetics channel on YouTube. That may be one of the best compliments we've ever received. Yeah. Um, I still think in the fun department, I, I think we get edged out by Eric Hernandez, but he doesn't post as often. But I, I love Eric Hernandez's videos. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He's my favorite apologist uh, that's strictly an apologist. But since Braxton Hunter's an evangelist, he's my favorite apologist because he's actually an evangelist. He uses apologetics. Which is one of the reasons why I was so willing to be his friend, because at the end of my Biola program, I thought apologetics was just not going to be my thing. And not because I didn't like the material or the arguments or anything like that, but I thought that it seemed useless until uh, I met Braxton Hunter, who was an evangelist using apologetics, and showed me that you can actually use this for something other than to be the kind of people that I was becoming, which was that, that what you describe on the back of this book right here, uh, as, as, uh, those people who sit around and do this for their own intellectual stimulation and all that other stuff. That, well, I appreciate yeah. that. The remnant radio is here. Hey, remnant Woo-hoo. radio. Glad you're here. Thanks yeah. for showing up. Yo, now, we- go, go check them out on Facebook and YouTube and all that too. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so so okay so we're fun we've come down to the end of, fun too, so. we've come down to the end of this but i want to remind you don't go anywhere don't go anywhere hold up i want to remind you all of something it's new year's eve did you know that do you know what that means for trinity radio because i do it means that whoops not that that the 15 book giveaway which you'll see here on the screen right now um you get 15 books uh there, what's going to happen is um Next Friday, I think, which is the 8th, I think, 
Um, we are going to have a, we're going to give away to one person, uh, 15 books to the runner up. We're going to give away two of my books, evangelistic apologetics and letters from ignorantia. And the way you become a part of this is if you're already a patron, you increase what you're giving any amount. Or if you are not yet a patron, you become a patron at any amount. Um, and uh, you will be a part of this drawing of sorts. Now, what you see on the right-hand side of the screen is actually a page from uh, William Paley's Natural Theology. There are graphics like that. And there are also um, pages like that. And we have framed... Um, give me, do we have a, give me the frame. Oh, you can't get it. Um, we have a framed, you'll see over my, uh, oh, my I can, I can left hand that. shoulder, but it looks different. That. Uh, yeah, we have these framed copies with even and, more fingerprints than the last time we held it. Up. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, we'll be sending those out to everyone who this is from 18. This is an 1838 edition of William Paley's natural theology, a page. I collect these pages from, um, ancient ancient it's not ancient really old works right. and um and so that's pretty cool it's william paley the watchmaker you know all that stuff this is pretty cool for an apologetics channel i think um so you you can be a part of that the way you get one of those for sure is if you become a patron at fifty dollars or you increase to fifty dollars if you already give fifty dollars or more to trinity radio you're automatically getting one in the mail anyway so merry new year's or whatever yeah. um but uh but look that all ends well the pages will continue that's an ongoing indefinite thing but the 15 book giveaway is going to end at midnight uh, tonight. So get so make sure that if you're going to increase on Patreon or you're going to become a patron, that you do that before midnight tonight. And we'll give or take an hour so that it gets time zones and stuff yeah. or whatever. Derek um, actually had a good question. What what should a jack of all trades, master of none focus on in ministry? Uh, be a pastor or an associate pastor. Um, and, and know that in past episodes, I have defended Jack. Jack is the person who gets the most work done in the culture. Uh, you don't have to be a master of anything to be a Jack of all trades. A Jack of all trades is a far more useful, uh, person than a master of one, because if he's not doing that one thing, he's not really good at anything else. So, uh, go for an MDiv. That's kind of a Jack of all trades ministry degree and be a pastor or an associate pastor. That's, that's we need more jack of all trades, masters of none in the pastorate, if you ask me. Someone else, uh, I'm trying to keep up with the question. Someone had asked about how can you have an infinite universe? Oh, hold on, let me get this because he's okay. shouting it at me. The programmer says, "What do you think of the statement that apologetics never convinces anyone?" Well, um, I think that comes from the fact, if I'm being, if I'm going to really be as straightforward and honest and open about that. I think that comes from the fact that two things. One, there are a lot of people um, that it doesn't convince. Part of that is because we, even a rational person, we all have biases and we all um, have flawed thinking at times and, and, and we all have desires that may come into conflict. And it's a conglomerate of things that lead to you remaining in a particular position or moving on a particular position. And so I think... Um, that that's true. A lot of times it doesn't end up convincing someone for a lot of people. That's true. Another thing is, and Craig has been open about this throughout his career is that sometimes apologetics is not the right tool because some people who aren't really ready to start thinking about these things, it can actually introduce items of doubt, perhaps that they haven't thought about because when you start talking about apologetics by how you present the material, even if you don't mention what the skeptics are saying, 
you're introducing the notions by your defenses that the skeptics raise. And some people might not feel like they're ready for that. And so it, it can it can actually do more harm than good in some cases, but not in general. And we uh, the idea that it never convinces anyone is just false because we have people that email us regularly on this channel telling us that they either began. I mean, on Twitter right now, there's still a conversation going between a person who was raised Buddhist became or wait, was raised agnostic, became Buddhist and is now a Christian or something, some variation of that. And they credit our God using our channel and channels like it to get them there and the apologetics that's there. Um, just not too long ago, uh, Cameron did an interview with, what is it, Elephant Philosophy, I think. And I think he had, I, I haven't finished the interview, so I could be wrong, but I think he had a similar um, sort of a story. So uh, it's just simply not true that it never convinces anyone. But there is truth in that doesn't convince everyone. And there are a lot of people that it doesn't convince. Yeah, I mean, if it's just hyperbole for it not having a huge impact in the culture, I could agree with that. If it's trying to say that apologetics is dumb and doesn't work, no, that that's obviously it works with, in fact, a good number of people. Uh, are, and, and look at the growth of apologetics channels on YouTube. So I, I don't I don't find and obviously atheists are always trying to criticize apologists. So they think it's why would they waste their time? See, they have a reason to waste their time on apologists. I Unlike the arguments I've been trying to make for the past six years that we have little reason to spend as much time on atheists as we do. But go figure. Atheism is actually less effective, you know, atheist promoters are less effective than Christian But that's apologists. why I don't start with apologetics with any particular person. I just start with the proclamation of the gospel message because that may be the best thing. Apologetics is one tool among many. Um, so you should start with just presenting the gospel. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. The apologetics pulls away intellectual roadblocks. Hey, where's our thumbs down? Has no one given us a thumb? We're supposed to get one or two before we start. So Spartan Theology says, I'm looking to do a deep dive into a particular theological topic in 2021. What's a topic you guys would choose to learn more about? Broadly theological topic? I'm trying to study more about demonology lately. Yeah, I know that seems weird, but I think that there's something to it. And so I've been uh, studying that recently. Um, <clears throat> also, I'd like to go deeper with the ontological argument. Um, I think and that's a, that's kind of, I mean, that's that you might, that might not be what you're thinking of by theological. Um, I, yeah, I now wanna, we've got three thumbs downs. Thanks, Pritchett. There you go. Uh, we need to, I need to, I really do need to get in deeper with eschatology and ecclesiology and ecclesiology, ecclesiology. And I'm more interested in ecclesiology cause I can keep kicking that eschatology can down the road as long theological. as theological. So, uh, theological topic. I don't know. I'm really interested and I need to find time to really think through ecclesiology. Um, because I, I want to go back. I spent, have a lot of I spent two years it. trying to study the, uh, supernatural or the sign gifts charismatic type sign gifts i'd like to do a little more on that because i still don't know what the heck would tell me well i mean just say even more just on the holy spirit doctrine of the uh pneumatology in general just spending more time on that I, we could all use more of that what kind of job is there for a christian i already answered that question oh, okay Fine. there was somebody who was asking doesn't an infinite universe require an infinite amount of time well i don't believe in an infinite it depends on what you mean by infinite universe you know the infinite past infinite um so like you know how we we deal with the past history the impossibility of infinite regression of causal events 
uh, or, te- or temporal moments, you can do the same thing spatially. Because if you're familiar, some of you may be familiar with the Grim Reaper paradox. We're not going to get into that now. But I talked about it in my response to Sirius the Skeptic. I've only done one video on Sirius the Skeptic. Maybe I've done two. But you can go back to that one um, and I talk about that there. Um, and you can take that Grim Reaper paradox and just line those uh, Grim Reapers up spatially. And you can get the same result about an infinite universe. Also, we need to make sure when we're talking about infinites that we make a distinction between quantitative infin- infinites and qualitatively infinite things. Dr. Pooch Rodney Tucker. Well, Go first, up. hold yeah, up. We need to get yeah, to well, Dr. Rodney Tucker. That is unbelievable. No, I can believe it. He's such a nice it guy. It is believable, but Rodney, that blows my mind. He has been a rock... He has been a rock star supporter of Trinity Radio from early on. Yeah, and you know what? I was looking the other day. I believe, Rodney, you have financially supported what we're doing more than any other person. And I want to tell you, it just means so much to me. I just can't even, uh, it blows my, now that, now there have been people who've done particular things like, of course, Dr. Ronnie Tucker is also a professor of Trinity and, and, and one of our great professors and, 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 uh, guy who, who grades our papers and stuff, teaches courses. So, man, we, you know, I think money's usually going the other way, but man, this guy doesn't like Star Trek. He likes Star Wars. I know. So I think you, what you should have to do because of this is to say Star Wars is better than Star Trek. Can you bring yourself? Yeah, because this is... Sully yourself and could, say it. Say it. I won't sully myself. Star Wars is better than Star Trek. Bam. There you go, Rocky In Tucker. some ways. <laughs> no, no. From a certain point but, of yeah, view. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bubba Fett is awesome. He still went out like a weenie in... Return of the Jedi. Well, the last time you said Star Trek was better than Star Wars was before The Mandalorian. Has that reversed it? (sighs) See, I changed my mind a lot. This is the convenience of being able to change your mind. Because, yeah, I mean, The Mandalorian's awesome. And I'm glad that they made Boba Fett awesome because that fixes the fact that Boba Fett... Bubba Fett, where? where? Man, I really I mean, appreciate... went out like a dork. So. I, I really appreciate that. I um, also appreciate this $5 from Ivan. Just oh, wanted to man. say I appreciate you guys. I wish more Christians had your backbone, Pritchett. Me too. Trust me, me too. Oh, man. I can get away with it since I'm not, like, you know... Oh, here we go. I'm curious what use a person would get out of demonology. So for me, the reason that that is an interesting thing is I'm one of those weirdo Christians who thinks there's something valuable for apologetics in near-death experiences because I think the fact that they are um, written up in the medical journals by many times um, non-Christian medical professionals, uh, that these things seem to have evidential components. Now, I'm not interested with near-death experiences about what happens in the afterlife and blah, blah, blah. I'm interested in the fact that there seems to be evidence that people seem to survive physical death in some sense. And that's really interesting. Well, I think a similar case could be made from uh, the demonic because there's similar stuff like that in the psychological literature, I think. And in fact, uh, there's a new book by a guy named, um, I can't remember his name, but I have it. Um, I, I won't go looking for it, but there's a brand new book that just came out in October where this guy who's, who's been doing this for 20 something years uh, and is a psychologist has written this book of his accounts. So I think there could be something evidential in that. Okay. Let me, let me, can I, can I add to that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it's also a part of our reality that we acknowledge as Christians. I mean, Jesus dealt with demons. Okay, I think that I think that angel, 
angels and demons have, you know, a function in the world. It's important to learn what the biblical authors thought about that, what the, you know, the culture of the time, what the second temple literature says about that. It, it, you know, demonology can play a role and, and for, for the biblical counselors and neuthetic counselors, especially, you know, if your doctrine of sin and evil begins and ends with man, you're missing the worldview of the biblical authors. Okay. Right. So all of this stuff plays into your, your, your doctrine of sin, your doctrine of man, your anthropology. Uh, it, it's important to understand for psychology. It's important in apologetics when dealing with the occult, why it helps explain why people can have unique and odd experiences that are outside of the norms. Um, and being able to account for that within the Christian worldview. So I, I think it is a neglected area that needs to be studied writ large by everyone. Adam Ragsdale. Adam is, uh, he says, old friend. Yeah. Me and Adam back circa 1998, 1999, 2000, would ride around in my car all over Nashville, Tennessee, singing U2 songs at the top of our lungs uh, just trying to get into trouble and stay out of trouble. And it was just an awesome time of my life. He became my best friend at that time. And Adam, it is so good to hear from you, man. We got to get on the phone sometime, but man, so many inside jokes, man. Um, it's the return of the Adams, isn't it? Yeah. Adam. Love you, Adam. Oh my gosh. That just made my day. All right, uh, look, we got to get done with this. We got we got to quit this, but we still got more super chats here. Uh, let's see. Soon to be Doctor Bingham. Should the Old Testament end with the Gospels, the New Testament begin with Acts and be better known as the Apostles' Doctrine uh, thoughts? Yeah, wait, was the New Testament begin with the Acts and better known as the Apostles' Doctrine? So, so, you, so, in a sense, like graphing it out, right? The New Covenant commences when. When would you say the new covenant? Mm -hmm. This is the covenant Com uh, begins. It begins when I, I, I mean, like with see, the death of Christ, the resurrection, the, the birth of Jesus, where he's talking about it. I mean, you know, where do you, where do you, draw if you place lines? that somewhere, if you I, place I don't, that, I don't like to put like a definite, it, there's a blurring into it yeah this is the covenant it's a, it's a slow you know? fade right there yeah but but since it takes place in the gospels i think it's appropriate to begin it with the gospels with the books of the gospels uh because they tell the story of 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 how that emerges so i think that's appropriate but in a very technical way i suppose i can see a point the point that might be being made there um i, I mean the easy answer for the dispensationalist is absolutely like it is old covenant up until you know, um, if not the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and if not the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of De Jesus, and you know, so dispensationalists they they hammer that out as a clear yes. Me, I'm a I'm a firm eh ish in this area. Derek Baylor <laughs> says he thinks the Old Testament ends with John the Baptist. I don't know. Yeah. Um. See, dispensationalists have this this thing easier. 
than, than, than I do. Oh, the walrus was Jason says riding around singing you two songs. I'm fighting back the urge to comment. Lord help me. Yes, Lord help him. Especially if your comment is going to be something that like you like I get in the comments anytime we ever mention you two, which is Bono is a part of the Illuminati. I mean, it's just, <laughs> the internet. Welcome to the internet, folks. Uh, Trinity Radio question. Aren't you just bummed that the New Testament starts with Matthew and not John? John is perfect to parallel Genesis. I get the sort of thematic idea there, but if I take Mark in priority, I kind of wish it started with Mark and then uh, Matthew and Luke can come and then John. I'm fine with that. But I get what you're saying with the um, with the parallel with Genesis there. I, I do think that. And, See, and when I was pastoring, I did Sunday morning, a series through Genesis and Sunday night, a series through John for that reason. This is this is the kind of. I get what he's saying, though, because you have that option if you're printing Bibles, right, where you want to put them. This is this is a post printing press type of question that we would ask, because um, if you just had a bunch of shells filled with a bunch of scrolls and you're trying to just keep them grouped, it really wouldn't matter. You, 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 they didn't think about it in turning pages the way that we do. Right. In, in the ancient world. So if you're in the if you're, you know, in. 700 AD, you, you, how do you, you know, keep that? So it's just something that we think about where they put these things, not, not historical order and origins. Like we're thinking about that since, you know, the early church, but, but just in the sense of where you put it in a book, you know, that's kind of a post printing press. Um, Rodney Tucker says, not sure if the documentary ever came out. I did a documentary on the seven churches in Turkey and uh, a couple of years ago, and it still hasn't come out. But, Still, I thought but, that thing was going to be... No, it's not out yet, but and I, thought, I will let everyone know because it's one of the things I'm most proud of that I've ever is done. Is it just sitting in a can somewhere? Yeah, being shopped around to uh, film companies. Oh. Chris Day says, Trinity Radio, Bono doesn't have to be in the Illuminati for YouTube to suck. <laughs> you yes, and I don't have to leave this comment on my screen anymore. <laughs> Bra- Man, how do you not like YouTube? I mean, I understand how to not like how to dismantle an atomic bomb. It's the overly sincere sort of thing. Like, th- there's something that's that was not cool for people in our generation, the generation of grunge rock and Green Day and Weezer, to the overly sincere epic arena filling soaring vocals it's the same reason people don't like it when when it's just me on these videos when i'm overly sincere um all right so let's uh i i like you too okay i mean i'm not like braxton about youtube but i mean man how do you get the walrus was jason says no the urge was to lambast you two and those who enjoy them in general as not having awesome taste in music i know subjective opinions Mm -hmm. blah blah well, Pritchett would argue that beauty and stuff like that is objective. Yeah. And so I'm going to tell you that objectively, U2's uh, music is much closer to, I think, God's objective standard for beauty than, say, Insane Clown Posse or something. Yeah, in so. terms of <laughs> in terms of disposable music, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, it's not disposable because it's shoved onto everyone's iPhones. And as someone said, the COVID vaccine uh, is going to have U2's latest album on it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all right okay we've come to the end but listen this has been awesome i've had a blast i've gotten to connect with old friends we you all have been great to us uh financially beyond what we deserve we got to see trolls hanging around we got to see uh i mean just everything you want in a live stream right i mean this is like the greatest live stream that i've ever been a part of um yeah yeah so you like coldplay hold on a second the walrus jason i like coldplay too but here's the deal 
Coldplay is the spiritual grandson band of U2. So what in the world are you telling me? You don't like U2, but do like Coldplay. The things that people yeah, don't so like about U2. Yeah, this live stream is pretty much done. The things that you don't <laughs> like about U2 are amplified in Coldplay. So you go sit down somewhere with a good stash of oh. Joshua Tree and Octum Baby and rethink your life. <laughs> Choices. In music. There, I softened it. Wow. All right, listen, um, I've had a great time Whoa, with all of you Whoa, Super Chat, $5. What? 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 Thoughts on the band Tool. I might highlight, recommend their album Lateralis, a lot of religious themes. <laughs> I'm very much aware of Tool. I have given my opinion on Tool in but a I don't previous know, video. I, don't, I, I couldn't even name you one song. I, I have given my, uh, my opinion of Tool on a previous uh, Trinity Radio episode, and probably, I think, in other episodes, my opinion is... Wow, the most overrated band in the history of overrated bands, except for a perfect circle. Maynard Keenan, overrated. Pretentious new metal. It's, here's here's a man don't who care understands. Here's mm -hmm. a man who sees it. He gets it. Thank you, Air Church. All Tool right. is a band that musicians love. <sighs> okay. But Let's... they don't but because musicians because are they technical and talented and and all of that? Yeah, sure, I I'll give know. them all that. Maybe. But but I mean, tools overrated. Yes, Jamie Russell's trying to. What Jamie Russell's doing right now with Happy New Year, like and subscribe, is like akin to when everybody's hanging around in the sanctuary at church, and the guy whose job it is to lock up tonight is back there turning the lights off so that everyone leaves. <laughs> when when you're not a guitarist in a band. You hang you, you all your guitarists and bass. They think tools the all. So I dealt with this. I've dealt with tool fandom back in my band days. I'm like, no, these they're overrated. And every band that tries to mimic tool, there's a reason why they never get anywhere is because nobody cares except for. Yeah, we're not musicians. holier than thou. Our best credentials. Good to know that you guys aren't holier than thou. We stand well, with I Jesus. Am. No, just kidding, Eric. Two dollars. Okay, we keep getting super chats, so we can't go away. Two dollars from Jose Rivera. Rivera. So you're just 20, hanging around for the money. 20, well, it's just, I just, I just, no, Dallas Wade's here. Dallas Wade, we're not quitting. We're just quitting 2020. We're doing it at midnight tonight. Join us. Yeah. All right. Not live. Just, we're going to do that in Central, the privacy of our Central Standard Time consciousness. 2021 goals for Trinity Radio. Any personal ones? Yes. I want an inspiring philosophy debate on this channel. I want another Steve Gregg debate. I want another Chris Date debate. And I'm working right now, I haven't even told you about this, Pritchett, on putting together a debate that will blow your minds. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say who yet, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. You're going to love it. So, uh, okay, la this is it. This is the last thing. Well, are we, we going to do our, are we going to get our uh, picture book thing? We've project? talked about doing Are a, we going to do that in 2021? A coffee table book. Coffee table I gave book. up on the coffee table. It seemed a bit really? much. Really? No, that was awesome. Okay. Um, Plus something to get this the is picture. the last, this is going to be the last thing, Pritchett. No matter what happens, this is the last thing. Somebody's going to super chat us just to see if I mean it. But <laughs> just last thing, uh, Pritchett, mm -hmm. talk about Creed. You know, I, I mean, I, I know that a lot of people either dump on Creed or sing their praises. They're okay. That's about all I got to say about it. They were okay. Uh, I, I thought that they were trying to, at least what I know of Creed, they were trying to channel uh, good Pearl Jam before they became folksy, weird Pearl Jam. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was okay. 
uh, I never listened to much uh, of it. So, all right. I had a grunge phase, but moved out of the grunge phase, and Creed hit after the grunge phase, trying to recapture the early grunge phase. They really did. And it just wasn't. No. Well, it's been a good year. Has it? We, <laughs> really? For us? No, it's been. Look, it's this, been a. This is the day. It's been a that that year for a lot the of people. Lord has made. I will rejoice and be and if I can say that about today, I can say it about yesterday and the day and months before that. And so can you, Pritchett. Yeah, I can. Because wherever we're at, we can be filled with the joy of the Lord, right? That's right. That gum that Jamie Russell did call me out. Weezer my my first show. I, yeah, <laughs> I like that. All right, okay. Uh, thank you for that. All right, listen. Love you guys. Love everyone. Thanks for a great year. Thanks for a great stream. This has been wonderful. Um, C. Denise says, Trinity Radio was a big bonus of my 2020. Thanks. God bless. Adam Ragsdale, peace sign. Uh, oh, and guys. I think I think uh, C. Denise is uh, my first patron for uh, Theology Geek Fitness. So thank you for that. I, I was actually Oh, did you start a Patreon channel for that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Remember? I, I, yeah. Okay. Right on. All right. Listen, we love you all, and we'll see you next year. I'll become a patron. We right do now. love you too. That's right. Uh, no, finding truth, not the way ba- we love you. Yeah. Um, look, actually, they invited me to be on that a while ago, and I dropped the ball on that cruise. So I remember getting talking to them on Facebook Messenger a long time ago, and I think I dropped the ball on that. So don't, don't, don't hound them about that i could have been on it so i think something happened i got caught up with something